Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to talk about the performance versus protection battle, or that constant thing that IT deals with, uh, or the SecOps team, where they have to balance the security measures that they need to put in place to protect the organization against the productivity needs of the organization to do what it's designed to do. Now, to help us do that, we've invited back the SecOps manager for Infoblox, Anthony Kuroki. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me back again. It's good to be here. Now, you know, to just deal with it again at the fifty thousand foot level here, I want to start by by understanding, you know, balancing productivity against protection. That's got to be one of your biggest challenges every time you want to change a policy or you have to address some new threat and that's going to require changing how people do things. How do you look at this issue? Because we all hear about the, the you know, businesses, they just want to be productive. They see security as an obstacle to productivity quite often. But from the SecOps team, you know, you're not a department of no. And that's why I really wanted you here on the show. So there are still those draconian security teams out there, but they become you know, pretty rare. So how does your team look at what they can or cannot do as regarding, you know, security for the company? Well, yeah, the problem is it, it's prehistoric practically. It's always been a matter of, you know, you can be secure or you can be productive. At least that's the stereotype where, you know, if you want to be perfectly secure, you just turn off your computer and problem solved. Um, and productivity, on the other hand, if you want ultimate productivity, you don't have any safeguards at all and you just do what you need to do. And uh, everybody's everybody in the world is trustworthy and nobody's going to take, take advantage of anything. Um, so somewhere in there is the, in between those two extremes is the real world. Um, and I think the problem, it's, it's kind of twofold, actually. It's, it, people in security like myself typically we'll see uh, the, the the sales and the developers and these other the other people that are more focused on productivity as being totally oblivious to security. And a lot of times that's true. On the other side of that, though, is a lot of times people in security are kind of oblivious to the need for productivity. So I think it's really important that the team, the security team, be aware that just like the productivity team needs to be aware that we're all on the same team. Um, that, that, you know, what we wanted, we all want to be secure um, and we all want to be um, productive also. So there are some things that we, you know, the security team needs to figure out ways to enable the productivity teams to do their job and vice versa. Uh, the productivity teams need to need to um, make sure that they're not creating risks and work for the security teams. And it's I think a lot of it is. Um, I mean, it's an education thing in, in some cases. I know people tend to not not like, you know, the annual or monthly or weekly uh, security trainings that they might need to do. Um, a lot of times you can you can make that a little easier by um, having them take training after they mess up, <laughs> which there's a little less they have less ability to complain about it than, you know, if they've just clicked on a phishing email, it's like, oh, good for you. You get to go to security training. Um, but uh, that's still, they, people still don't like that. And it's hard to get people to actually do the training, but that's that's just kind of a process thing. I think a lot of it is just being aware that, um, you know, like I say, they're all on the same team and find ways to actually minimize the impact to productivity if you're in security and minimize the impact to security if you're in productivity uh, spaces. So um, 
again, it's just a lot of it's a lot of uh, a lot of awareness and training. I think is involved in that. Well, and and I'm thinking of uh, again some recent cases. Let's just go back a, a year or so to Colonial Pipeline. They're just you know a poster child for so many other companies where they had a breach. Then the investigation goes on, and in addition to they didn't invest enough in personnel. I mean, uh, Colonial Pipeline had actually had an opening for a CISO for almost two years. Um, they filled it at one point and he only lasted like a month or two and then he was gone and had to be replaced. Um, but it's hygiene, just basic, simple hygiene that some of these companies are still not investing in. So they're not even, we're not even talking about, do they have SIM and SOAR tools to make their teams more efficient or anything? They're not even spending the basics. And so I think this is again, kind of like, uh, we were talking about, um, you know, there's there's still those dinosaurs around that that they just haven't caught up with the real world. Um, they see it as an expense. Hey, as long as we can tell the 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 auditors, we have desktop security, we have some gateway security, and we have some network security, and that's it. You know, they can check a few boxes. They feel like that's good enough, and they buy the cheapest thing. Because um, I get called in from sales at our company sometimes when they want us to help a customer understand the real value of our solutions. I, I find myself, you know, typically on those calls, it's because the person is counting dollars. It's yeah. not because of the competitive situation, which is what I think I'm getting on the phone on. But it turns out to be that the person just, you know, well, we've got, you know, um, a firewall. And that does a, a little bit of everything. So why would we need a secure web gateway? Why would we need DNS security? Why would we be, I mean, it's not just my product. There's a whole slew of what most companies would consider the basics that they aren't investing in. They're doing the bare minimum. Now this is because I think they're, they're just looking at the cost of buying versus, um, well, I don't think they're doing a versus, just the cost of buying. They just want to do the minimum and they're crossing their fingers that when something happens, um, they'll be safe. So how do you pitch that? I mean, obviously you're at a security company, so the executive team knows something about this, but they're still not just going to give you a, I mean, I, I happen to know you don't have an unlimited budget. You have to justify it. Um, what are the factors you use versus just, here's the cost of what I'm asking us to do. Here's the cost of our exposure. If we don't do it, I mean, there's gotta be more to it than that. Right. Yeah, and one one of the things that uh, is very important that you bring up is that, um, and we, we've talked about this before, is that the security team oftentimes doesn't have the authority to enforce security on other organizations. You have to go high. You have to actually. You can spend just as much time trying to con trying to convince uh, a manager of a team of of the need for security as you can spend convincing the CEO of the company that need for security, but you'll get a lot more bang for the buck if you convince the CEO. So you want, it's got to really come down from, from above in order to get any authority. So you really want to, uh, first of all, concentrate your efforts on the people that maybe even, you know, uh, although they're all going to be cost aware, uh, maybe they're not, that's not the, their, their whole job isn't consumed by finance. Uh, they're also looking at things like, well, what if the company goes down? What if, you know, what if we lose all of our company records? What if, you know, these sorts of things happen, we lose our source code? Um, those types of things are of concern to people that when you get high enough up, uh, as opposed to just the dollars. I think a lot of what you can do, um, you want to, in, in our case, we have company-wide presentations and I make 
I take advantage of every opportunity to um, get on one of those and just show myself breaking, <laughs> breaking into computers and, and doing devastating damage. Um, and those things are company wide. So, you know, the, the people get to see them and uh, that sort of thing can help. Another thing that can kind of help, and many times this might take like involvement from HR or something like that, but if you can kind of make it fun to actually do these things, kind of gamify security. Um, I know even with computers in general, computers were around for quite a while and nobody could think of a, a reason to have one in their house. I mean, what, I've got a couch, do I need, a, I need to spend a bunch of money on this thing so I can add? and subtract I and mean, what is this thing good for and then they came out basically with computer games it was basically you know the apple and the early pcs had all these fun games on them and suddenly everybody wanted a computer and then they started realizing oh we can do other stuff with them um so that you following that model you know if you can make security fun uh, have some kind of contests, have some kind of uh, awards for people that uh, that do things in a secure manner. If you create some kind of a program that that spreads security around the company uh, at all levels in a fun way, that can go a long way um, just in making people aware of it. Uh, it's still, you're always going to have that issue with... Um, with uh, you know productivity versus security, but at least a raising a, a, a raising the awareness uh, will go a long way. Usually, when I show up at somebody's desk or one of my team shows up uh, calling somebody, you know, we're not we're not delivering birthday presents or flowers or anything. They're generally not real happy to see us uh, because it's always viewed as an interruption to their workday. But uh, on their side, if we can make it make them realize that it's actually not an interruption. It's really part of their job. Um, just like part of our job is making sure that, that they can still be productive in a, in a safe environment. Um, that helps a lot. Well, and I've noticed um, here uh, at Infoblox, one of the things that you've done is you've worked in like um, the security training stuff. It is no longer seen as a separate thing. Every year we have our training on a, a reminder of the corporate values. Oh, by the way, these laws have changed. So here's some privacy things you all need to remember, particularly those in home office who might be talking to people in other countries. There's certain you know regulations we have to follow for export laws. So we have the lawyers training and the security training is just in there. It's not a separate thing. And I think every other company I've been at, they've had the those other trainings but security was always its own thing. It wasn't part of the annual process. It wasn't announced by HR. Uh, but here, I even get my notification from HR. Hey, it's time to do this training. Um, so it's like you say that, you know, maybe that's not the gamification aspect, but it's part of normal business operations. It's not a separate thing. Security is treated as just a part of the business. So I think that was important. But on the gamification side, I've, I've seen some of that as well. Um, and uh, definitely the scary stories. Um, scary stories are not how you uh, how vendors should be selling product. Although there's a lot of them that do it's that. It's classic, yeah. The, the the deck with you know all the all the major headlines is always on one slide. Here are ten companies that no longer exist, and here's the headlines when they went away. That sort of thing. Oh, and and I've seen some presentations where they've had uh, it was, they had a thirty minute slot, and fifteen minutes into it, they're t still telling us about famous breaches that we all know about. So, you know, we all, and we're all here because we know those things happen. So why are you telling us? So, but no employees, um, they really don't understand how some of this stuff can work. Um, I know I've had conversations with people about the recent change in macros that uh, Microsoft's now blocking macros um, in, in a number of their solutions <laughs> automatically. So, 
There's things like that. But, you know, on the cost side for security, you have not just the product, you have personnel. I mean, how many articles are there about the shortage of security personnel? So you have to justify more people or a tool that's going to make your people more effective. But all those tools also then come with, and I think a lot of people say, well, it's a hassle factor, but it's not so much the hassle as it is um, if you're putting that tool in place, it might slow things down. Again, I get questions on that whenever uh, I have worked with a company that sells gateway products, they say, or a cloud product. They want to know, so how much lag does that introduce? You know, how much is that going to slow things down? And that may not work in some companies, but like if you've got a retail store and your, you know, point of sales, cash registers, they have to get that information quick because people in line are not patient. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but <laughs> I'm that person. They, they just don't wait. Um, and there are other places where it's mission critical. I know in hospitals, um, there's actually in some countries, there's mandates about how uh, if I need to pull up a patient's record and it's only available digital, I have to have a certain response time. And if not, I am required to have a paper backup system, things like that. So they're really very performance aware and yes. uh, aware uh, or excuse me, averse to anything that's going to impact it. Um, but the other things that getting specific tools, I mean, uh, multi-factor authentication, um, a lot of people get frustrated with that because, oh my heavens, because now every time I can't just log in, I now have to pull out my phone, I have to validate myself, or I have to use my key, type in some special numbers. Um, a lot of users hate that because that they see as, a, as an impact. Um, or just VPN. Um, mm -hmm. VPN was a, a weird story because of the, the whole, I mean, you didn't have the problem uh, as much where when the pandemic hit, you didn't have all of a sudden a huge amount of VPNs you had to roll out. Did you? Uh, no, not not from from my end. I was actually working for another department at the time, but uh, when, when COVID first came out. But um, the um, there there are like there are ways to get around um, having to do VPN. There's there's zero trust architectures that will allow you to securely access your corporate uh, networks without using VPN. However, that doesn't, it's actually a lot more difficult to act, uh, putting together a real secure zero trust architecture is a lot of work. And it can, it, it, it can be a, a um, whole, you know, sea change in the way your network is set up. So it is very possible um, that that throws a lot of the work on your IT department to save some convenience for your workforce, um, which for some companies that's worthwhile. It really depends on, on, on you know, the specific situation. But um, yeah, a, a real uh, zero trust architecture is not a trivial thing that, you know, you can just throw up. Um, also, you mentioned like the tools that you need. You do need, you do need good tools, but um, also you need, just because of the, the, the pace of um, vulnerabilities that are coming out and exploits, you really need to you really need to solidify your processes so that you can do as much automation as possible. Um, you, unless you want to have a staff of 50 plus security people, um, which is, is not going to happen, you really need to automate the processes so you can keep it down to a reasonable number. And just having the tools doesn't do that. You've really got to learn 
um, how to use them properly, have them uh, integrated properly and, and, and implement in, uh, automation wherever possible. There are, there are companies out there that um, I can name a couple that actually are able to actually start responding to an, an event within 60 seconds. Um, then the only reason, they, and they've got, you know, they're, they're large companies that have like nine people on their security staff. And they do that because they are almost, almost entirely automated. Well, and I want to chime in there because I want to clarify again, you mentioned zero trust architecture, and then you talked tools, which I think mm. a lot of people keep confusing. Zero trust, I remember when that first came out and Gartner was talking about, it, they explained that, you know, uh, or excuse me, Forrester started talking about it and, and explained what it was and how it worked. And immediately a bunch of vendors who are very opportunistic jumped right on it and said, oh yeah, we have a, we now have this zero trust gateway. We have this new zero trust network monitor. We have this, it was like zero trust is a bunch of new products you have to buy. It's not a product category. Right. It's an architecture, and I think that's really important that maybe the tools you have can already support if you use them differently, and you might need a few other tools to shore it up if you go that way, but it's, it's an architecture. It isn't yeah. a product. And actually, zero trust itself is almost more like a philosophy. It's a different way of looking at things that you need that architecture. It, that's, and there's a few of them, but that, that's how you implement it. But like you say, you don't need to necessarily buy a bunch of tools uh, you may already have them, but you need to start looking at them in a different way and, and, and implementing them in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, some of those tools that a lot of other ones that will pop up is like CASB, web filtering, mm -hmm. you know, um, those are things that are, you know, DNS security. Those are the things that are going to keep you from going places you shouldn't. Um, filtering them to make sure you only go to the ones that the company trusts. So that's kind of a zero trust thing. But those are tools, again, you already have. So, um, you know, it's a matter of, I don't think zero trust for a lot of companies is as much the tools as it is the work of balancing who really needs access to what. Um, because there's a lot of people in your company that pre-zero trust, you keep things simple. You add a new tool, you give everybody access to it which now mm -hmm. means that everybody has access to information they probably shouldn't or should only have on rare occasions. Um, I know that uh, I've talked to companies that, uh, you know, with insider issues where they found that, oh yeah, all of our customers and their credit cards were being, uh, that were processed in this one facility in a Latin American country, I'm thinking of a specific case, where all the credit cards processed to that agency everybody had access to and they had some low value data entry person who was able to scrape that stuff off and they were selling about 15 20 000 of those a month off on the dark web to make extra money um oh, yeah. so it boils down to um you know who really needs access to what you know it it isn't fair to just hassle the users on this too that's the thing is we all think about the hassle factor for users i can't get it at uh, what i want uh, you know, because IT won't let me. But doing this is also a major hassle for the security team. Just trying to figure out what things you need to block who from, what policies to put in place, getting the business managers to sign up. Um, that is a, a big issue. That, that I, I remember doing that with DLP. Um, mm -hmm. Do you deal with DLP or, I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, DLP uh, uh, oftentimes ties into CASB. I know we were talking about uh, um, how 
everybody talks about DLP, uh, and they, they, they it, and it's across the board, vendors call everything DLP, when really what they're talking about is data leakage, um, where, where other people have access to your data. Um, but really, data loss is exactly what it sounds like. It's where you lose access to the data because it got deleted or somehow permissions got changed and that sort of thing. And um, a lot of times that's overlooked. Kind of CASB can kind of fill in some of the gaps there. But even with CASB, if somebody deletes a file, that's a data loss. You know, so it's and there's so many different ways that can happen, either by losing data or by having it leak out that it's not you can't buy a tool at least I'm not aware of any that can cover all the different ways, whether it be through email, whether it be through USB drive, stream scraping, um, boy, uh, 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 collaboration platform, Zoom and Slack and all of that. There's all these different ways that data is just flying everywhere. And how do you, how do you track something that, you know, uh, somebody downloads a report from some customer tool uh, screen copies, it puts it in a spreadsheet and then puts it up on Google Drive and then shares it to somebody that they know in another company. Is that still, you know, proprietary data? Yeah, sure it is. But how do you track that? Um, and there are, there are ways, you know, several vendors have come up with interesting ways to do that. Um, all of them have problems. Um, at least uh, none of them are none of them are perfect. But um, again, it's an area where there's a lot of still a lot of hype where vendors will tell you, yeah, this is something that we can do, but when you get right down to it, that's not, you don't really do that. Um, you, you, it's a difficult problem. Well, and it's a matter of also, I've seen these products, they're purchased, um, you know, the security team says we need it, or some executive read it in a magazine when they were traveling somewhere, um, but they get the product, they hand it to the security team and say, here, roll out this, you know, DLP or this zero trust thing, and it's like, whoa, 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 we don't know which things to restrict for which individuals, yeah. you know, and how much to respect, uh, restrict different people. So you can have it to the business manager. And when I, I did this years ago, the business managers, they don't see the difference between data. It's like, hold on, no, 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 this is, we'll go back to my other example. This is credit card information. And this thing here is our internal HR uh, processes for reporting uh, policy violations. It's just a reporting terminal. Everybody should have access to that, but not everybody needs access to the credit card number. The business manager will have some excuse why, no, no, everybody on my team needs access. Everybody. And so, but IT doesn't have the authority to override them. And so yeah. what you end up with is still, guess what? We got this great DLP thing that could restrict different people from accessing different information, but our policies are such Everybody can still access everything they could before because the business managers don't understand security. Absolutely. And, and the access, um, boy, it's really difficult to, to get control of that after the fact, but it always is after the fact. It's like almost nobody that I'm, I've ever been involved with was thinking security before they started giving access to things. It's always now you've got thousands of people, or I'm probably exaggerating there, but I mean, I've, I've seen... Um, I've seen uh, uh, holes poked into um, into security groups in, in 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 the cloud where you know uh, it's Bob's home network. Here's a, I'm going to open up. I'm going to allow anything from Bob's home network into this you know highly proprietary area. And it's like, what exactly is Bob's home network? That could be anybody. That could be his teenage daughter. That could be the friend of his teenage daughter that happens to be coming from an IP address that looks like Bob's home network. And you've just opened your whole 
you know, everybody you know that ever logs into a computer at your house now has access to that proprietary information. Um, that sort of thing, uh, it's very convenient because now I can go from my home network and do my work, but um, the ramifications there, you, you just can't allow that kind of thing um, without hopefully thinking about what, what you're opening it up to. Well, and this gets into shadow IT as well. Um, that story you just shared about the teenager, I actually recall working with one of the movie studios and they had a problem where, you know, they've got different productions going on all the time. People out in the field, they're in remote locations and they normally set up a system so everything gets backhauled to the main studio. Mm. And, you know, they had a, a, a star that was complaining, that's too slow, I can't do what I want. And so somebody said, well, we'll get you your own uh, we'll get you your own internet. So they bought them their own internet and they gave them an independent, you know, here's what you hook your laptop and it was separate so far. So good. That was the official process from it and all of that. But then they said, hold it. But now I got to log off this and connect to this other system when I want to, you know, read the latest script or whatever. And so, um, how do I get between the both? And so one of the gaffers was a pretty smart guy with computers and he showed them how they could just access both but their laptop then became a bridge between right. the corporate network and this private little gateway. And when the entire studio got hit by ransomware, it took them a month to trace it back to this movie star's private little modem in their trailer on a remote lot. It's, uh, you know, the shadow IT comes into this so much where they're trying to be productive, um, and if you don't have visibility into the applications they're using, which, you know, we're in a world of apps now, right? Um, you know, that, that gets me a, a nightmare. What's that like for you right now? Because again, you're dealing with a lot of very tech savvy people. You mean, on one hand, you're in security and everybody should know something about security. But on the other hand, no, we have a lot of people in sales and marketing and they know enough to talk about it. They'll turn it over to their SE when it gets to be really technical. Um, but they, they do a lot of silly things on a, on a frequent basis. Um, they all have their personal apps. How does that affect your security strategy? Well, there's a couple things there. <laughs> um, I know <laughs> when I was in college, uh, it, it, they were saying, you know, IT, system administration, that's the way to go. That's where the big money is. You can, you know, programmers are a dime a dozen, you know, nobody, nobody is really impressed by that. But boy, get into IT, system administration, that's the way to go. And I went from there, work, I started work at Sun Microsystems and realized immediately that everybody in the company thought they could do my job better than me. So no matter whether they were program managers or developers or whatever, they all thought they knew IT. Um, and, you know, that first they were probably right. But um, still, uh, this is similar with, with security, They're, especially at a security company. Everybody has had a lot of training. It's kind of like the height curve, you know, if you've seen that from Gartner, where there's this, this irrational exuberance when you get a little bit of information. And then it, as you learn more, you realize how much you don't know and enter the trough of despair. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that chart. It's kind of funny. But um, I think a lot of people have enough information to where they've got their irrational exuberance, where they think they know uh, 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 quite a lot about security because they don't know enough to know what they don't know, if that makes sense. Um, the more you kind of dig into it, that's why the field is so fascinating for me is that it's almost this never ending uh, information. Uh, there's just so much stuff out there. Um, it just, just yesterday I was reading a book that somebody actually wanted me to review on DNS security. And there were a couple of things in there that I'd never heard of or even thought of. And I was going, 
wow, that is like really interesting. And I've been doing this a long time and I never even knew about these things. So, um, yeah, that, that's a problem where, you know, you're trying to get some level of, um, I guess, I don't know if respect is the right word, but people need to kind of realize that, that, that you're in, in the field for a reason because you do, you are an expert at it and you know something about it that is not common knowledge. Uh, just like I wouldn't presume to go in and, and start writing code on any of our products. That would be a bad thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar thing where, you know, there's, a, there's a, an awareness that needs to be had that people, you know, people are working here um, and they're in the position that they're in because they're good at it. You know, otherwise, uh, otherwise somebody else would be in that position. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is that respect. That's one of the things I do like about uh, Infoblox right now is because um, for the last few years, it, it is interesting how the lines between departments don't really exist. And I haven't seen that at a lot of companies. And I can definitely say that in addition to the, you know, employee satisfaction, it's a fun place to work. It is a more secure place when people feel like they can freely talk about the problems they're having because um, our department had a problem. We needed a tool to solve it. We started talking around and found out there were other departments that had a similar problem and they'd already worked with your team to figure out the right tool to do it. Mm. So we had a sanctioned tool right there. We solved our problem real quick and it's all because of communication and, and some mutual respect. Yeah, so, I think so. And I think, you know, and I, when I say that, um, I'm not using Infoblox as a as an example, as a bad example. I think here, like like you were saying, I think there is a lot more awareness and respect between organizations than many places I've worked. So, um, yeah, it's it's something that uh, I think is a, one of the great things about working here. Well, and unfortunately, we are out of time, which we tend to be quite a bit. And this is a topic I think we could go on for quite a while. Yeah. That whole productivity versus uh, protection discussion is age old and we still don't have all the answers. But um, I do want to thank you for your time for being uh, with us today, Anthony. My pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time as well. Please join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. 